0: Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to invite you to turn to page one in your Bible. (laughs) Genesis chapter one. As you are turning there, I want to make you aware that uh, we are making available to everyone here a copy of this book, which is actually two little books in one, The Case for a Creator, and then flip it over, and you have The Case for Christ. This is a wonderful little uh, book and tool that um, just establishes some of the reasons for our faith uh, that there is a Creator God, and that His Son, Jesus, is the Christ, is the Savior. The ushers will be handing you a copy of this as you leave uh, later on, and so please uh, receive that as a gift um, uh, through a ministry that has blessed us and donated a lot of gifts. Uh, we received these and now are transferring them to you. With our Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1, before I read this text, I want to let you know something of the significance of this moment, I believe, we believe as your pastors, as we begin a new series of studies through the book of Genesis. If you were to climb a very high mountain, you would find at the top of that mountain, in its highest peak, a roughly formed upside down V, a ridge shaped in that way. And that ridge is called the watershed. A watershed is that ridge that divides and separates water at the top of a mountain. Any rain that falls there or snow that melts there will either go in one direction or the other. Which means that two drops of water that fall just an inch from each other But on either side of that watershed will flow downward in opposite directions and may well end up thousands of miles apart. Here today, and those watching on live stream are included, you and I, we are the drops of water and the book of genesis particularly genesis 1 through 3 is the watershed where where you and i land in response to this book will decide the whole direction and the whole outcome of our life It will decide how you live. It will decide what you live for. It will decide where you end up. And so we need to pray. Because this is a moment, I believe, in which God is going to be speaking to us in coming weeks and months to bring us to a point of decision. Where are we going to land? And what's the outcome going to be? Let's pray. Our Father in God, in heaven, we pray for your presence and blessing. We pray to you because you are the Lord God of heaven and earth. And our desire is and our need is that we would know you. that we would respond to You, not with blind faith, but in, with informed faith. Faith rooted in truth, in fact, in history. Lord, please do among us and do within us that which we cannot do ourselves. Lift our eyes and grant us faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the series is going to be called Origins. Simply, Origins. Why Origins? Well, because the book of Genesis is about origins, it's about beginnings. Genesis records for us the actual historical origin of everything. From the universe to humanity to human languages to right and wrong to men and women and marriage and gender and sin and redemption and cultural diversity. All of these things are traced back to Genesis Verses, or chapters 1 through 11 especially. But this is more than a history book. This is a theological history book. History that teaches us who God is and what God is like. And where history is going in His plans and in His purposes. I believe that we would be well served if we would take time today and again next week to, to ask this question, why are we doing this? Why Genesis? There are 66 books in the Bible after all. Why the book of Genesis? And I'm going to give you six reasons, three of them today and three of them next week, God willing, God enabling Uh, us to do this and let me mention if you don't have an outline uh, we do have outlines for this if anyone doesn't have an outline please raise your hand uh, and Anusha will get it to you it looks like you all have them oh the the guy who's being ordained soon doesn't have an outline God willing ordained soon Lord willing, you'll be receiving an outline each week and uh, the fact that you have an outline and it has information on it does not mean necessarily that we will get to all of that information. Uh, The way sermons go and sermon prep goes Often there are last-minute changes and edits, but it's going to guide you and hopefully serve as a tool for you. You may be one who wants to get hold of a binder of some sort and collect these as a resource for uh, the rest of your life, uh, if God so pleases. Six reasons why Genesis 3 today. Number one. Number one, because Genesis introduces the true historical storyline of Scripture and of history. I should, I should say right from the start, when I say storyline, I don't want you to misinterpret that or misunderstand that. This is not storyline like fairy tale story, or like myth, or like legend. This is a historical storyline. The book of Genesis introduces to us the fact that there is a storyline. The very first words of Genesis... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That phrase, in the beginning, signals to us that there is something after that. For something to be the beginning of something, that something has to exist beyond the beginning. So there is, at the very least, a beginning and an ending. And there is a vast span of time in between. And the Bible reveals to us this historical storyline, this plan and outworking of redemption. And just so I can make this point and make sure you hear this point, this is a historical storyline. One of the reasons why we know this is real history and not myth and fable and legend is because Jesus believed in Genesis. If you, if you read the Gospels which are the record of His life and His words and His deeds, time and again Jesus cites the historical events of Genesis and by doing so he is saying to us, this really happened. And friends, if Jesus Jesus, who is the Son of God, who came here to earth, who did many mighty deeds to demonstrate and prove that He was the Son of God, who taught like no one has ever taught, who lived like no one has ever lived, who was good and kind and true and honest like no one has ever been, if He who was crucified and then raised from the dead and declared to be the Son of God with power. If He says Genesis is true, then my friends, Genesis is true. This is history. This isn't myth. This isn't fable. This isn't legend. This is history. And so when we come to Genesis 1.1, which says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we need to know that No one less than Jesus affirms that that's exactly what happened. Jesus believed in Genesis. It is historical. It is actual. It is factual. It is truth. And it's a story. A wonderful story. We used to sing as kids, tell me the old, old story. Uh, The Bible tells us an old, old story. a story of a God of infinite love and power who did all that needed to be done and has done all that needs to be done to restore us from our brokenness, our sinfulness, our shame, and our sorrow. There is a storyline in the Bible. Um, We can think of it in terms of five aspects or stages. Um, I like to start with pre-creation. Where God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed in Himself and by Himself for eternity past. Perfectly content without us. I hope you realize that. God doesn't need you. He dwelt forever, before the beginning. Or as the New Testament puts it often, before the foundations of the world. God was. Pre-creation. God is the prequel to all that follows. And then there's creation where God spoke and brought everything into existence. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, it was very what good. But then there was the fall, this is Genesis chapter 3, where sin happened and everything got cursed and broken. But then there was redemption from the end of chapter 3 all the way through history, all the way toward the end of the book of Revelation, where God in His Son has redeemed all things to reconcile them and reconcile us to Himself by the power of the Holy Spirit one person at a time, God is redeeming, God is reclaiming the universe. And that's going to lead to consummation, where everything is made new all over again. So we have pre-creation, God the Father, Son, and Spirit existing in eternal bliss and joy. And in the overflow of His love, decides to create so that others could share in the joy that He had. But then there was sin that brought a fall, a curse, ruin on humanity, ruin on this world. But God in His love said, now there's going to be redemption. I'm going to buy them back to be my own and I'm going to change them and transform them and restore them and reclaim them. And that process is going on right here, right now in this room and in your life. You're in the middle of the story, folks. This is your story. This is our story. And the day is going to come when the consummation of that story happens. Everything is made new. A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. And there will be no more sorrow or sadness or sin any longer. If you're one of those who likes to read the end of the story before you get through the whole story, go to Revelation 21 and 22 and enjoy the end. Enjoy the end. This is why we're preaching through Genesis, because we believe that Christians today have lost a sense of this wonderful historical storyline of scripture. And too often we look at the Bible, we look at our faith just in terms of an individual verse or idea or teaching or event and we don't have the big picture of it all. We need the big picture of it all. And Genesis gives that to us. A second reason why we're preaching through Genesis is that it is the foundation for a truly Christian worldview. A worldview is a set of ideas and assumptions and beliefs through which we view the world. And all that happens in that world is seen through the lens of that worldview. What you have is your worldview. Your view of the world. Your view of the cosmos. Your view of all that is. What you have as your worldview will determine everything about you. It will determine your hope or lack of it. It will determine your ethics. It will determine your politics. It will determine everything about you. There is a view of this world that will define you one way or another. And in our world, there are various worldviews. There is materialism, the idea that all that matters is matter, and all that is, is physical, just the physical world. There is no spiritual. That's very popular in our day. That is a worldview. And if there is no spiritual realm, then you're going to look at life very differently. Then there is pantheism. Which is, in a sense, says says that there is no physical, there's only spiritual. That that the physical is just in your imagination. It's just an illusion that um, really all that there is is somehow being uh, at one with um, some force or power or whatever that's out there. But then there's Bible theism, there is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is the physical, the heavens and the earth. But there is the spiritual God created the heavens and the earth. This is a distinct Christian worldview. This, this is how a Christian looks at the world. The world says, in the beginning, chance happened. In the beginning, nothing was there. In the beginning, a bang happened. In the beginning, a cosmic, blind, and mindless roll of the dice happened. And then... God says, no, in the beginning, I happened. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. And my friends, as Christians, we need to know that our worldview is in direct opposition to or is opposed by the world. We we believe in a view of things that the world does not embrace. In fact, the world hates. And if we do not understand our worldview, if we don't understand how it all fits together, who God is and why we are here and who we are and all the rest, if we don't have a biblical worldview, then we are not going to be ready to to live faithfully and courageously in this generation. We need to know the big picture. For the reality is that not only, not only is our worldview different, but our worldview is hated. It is hated. And it is mocked. I had the joy just yesterday of sitting with a young woman from our church who's... Uh, decided to follow Jesus and live her life, this young teenager, live her life for Christ, she told me that she gets mocked at school, that there are counter-world views. She didn't use that term, but that's what she was talking about. There are different worldviews, And fellow students mock her and scorn her for her faith. We need to understand that this is the way it always has been and always will be. There is a price to pay. There is a price to pay for following the truth as it is in God. And we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. We need to know what we believe. And we are hoping and praying that this experience in Genesis will equip us to that end. You're finding it, like I am, aren't you, that our culture expects us to walk in lockstep agreement. Our culture has no tolerance for a Christian worldview. We're gonna need courage We're going to need truth. We're going to need to be willing to suffer. But we will not be willing to suffer for that which we do not know and do not understand. So we need to take time to know what we believe and why we believe it. And now a third reason for Genesis. Because Genesis confirms what we already know to be true. Genesis confirms what we already know to be true. Contrary to what a lot of people think, our first reason for believing in God is not because the Bible says so. Our first reason for believing in God is because creation says so. Creation declares the reality of God. Creation, if you will, is volume one of how God communicates to us, and scripture is volume two. Volume one all that God has made. Remember Psalm 19? uh, Later on, look at these verses. Look them up and study them and review them. But just listen to them now. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, the voice of creation, goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In other words, there is not a square inch on this planet. There is not a human being on this planet who has not heard and seen and received The glory of God as manifested in creation. Genesis merely confirms what nature tells us. And so we have in Acts chapter 14. I I love this interaction that Paul has as he is in a, a town where they are, they he. Paul had done a miracle and, and the people were trying to make him into a God. And, and, and Paul says to them, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet, He did not leave them without witness. For He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. What's Paul saying? God has been talking to us through creation and nature since the beginning of time. He has not left Himself without witness. Anyone, anyone who says to you, if God is there, why doesn't He talk to us? Say to them, He is talking to us all the time. He is talking to us through creation. He has not left Himself without witness, for He has done good by sending rain and fruitful seasons satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Did you have even five minutes this week in which your heart just felt happy? Maybe it was, as it was for me, Galen's meatballs filled my heart with joy. As I have often said, God could have made me with taste buds that didn't work and could have made food taste like sawdust. Still made us eat it anyways. But he made taste buds. Sweet and sour and salty and ten zillion different tastes. Why? Because he is bearing witness not only that he exists but that he is good and he is kind Or we could turn to Romans chapter 2 where Paul says that people, even people who do not have the Bible, they do not have the Word and the law of God, they still have a conscience that bears witness to right and wrong, that leaves them without excuse before God. In other words, God speaks to us through creation. God speaks to us through conscience. Was there a time, even before you were a Christian, when you did something and you knew you did something wrong? Where did that conscience come from? Paul says, it was the Creator stamping His law into your heart so that even if you never have a Bible, you still know the difference between right and wrong. God has not left Himself without witness. God exists and He is not silent. And the book of Genesis simply, simply reminds us of what we already know to be true. And so, what kind of questions begin to jump into your mind? What about evolution? What about this? What about that? How could that be true? How could that be possible? Or maybe the question for you is, if in the title, uh, words of a title of one book I read years ago, if there is a God, why are there atheists? If there is a God, why are there people who don't believe there is? The first answer to that is, well, they do believe there is. Romans chapter 1 says that everyone knows the truth that there is a God. But why do they think they don't believe? It's because, and we must deal with this, my friends, it's because once you acknowledge Genesis chapter 1, everything changes in your life. In the beginning, God. What does that tell you? Well, it tells you that God is above everything else. It tells you that God is all-powerful. It tells you that your life is dependent upon Him. It tells you that He has a claim upon you. Why is it that people deny the existence of God? It is not because there is no evidence for the existence of God. It is because admitting the existence of God means that He has a claim on my life. Admitting the existence of God means that there is a being of infinite power. And I am not Him. It means that there is one who is lawgiver. One who calls the shots. Someone who is in charge. Someone who is sovereign and almighty, and it's not me. It means there is someone who has an absolute claim upon my life. Why do people deny? Because to acknowledge must lead to surrender. And humans don't like to surrender. Our pride, our rebellion, stiffens our hearts and our necks against God. Why do people deny? Well, in part it's because God is simply intimidating. He invades our space. If He's everywhere, that means I can't go anywhere where He isn't. If He is, and He has made all things, that means He sees all things. There's nowhere to hide. We humans don't like others invading our space. Did you ever notice how awkward we feel in elevators? How nobody looks in each other's eyes. Everyone's eyes are down. This is my space. Don't get too close. God is always invading our space. There's no escaping Him. There's no getting away from Him. It's intimidating. And the thing is, is that He is holy. I'll close with this. Um, I remember hearing a message by Dr. R.C. Sproul many years ago, many years ago now. Um, He, in fact, wrote the book that I referenced earlier, If There Is a God, Why Are There Atheists? Um, And he talks, I believe it was in that book, he talks about um, a time when uh, Billy Graham was golfing with a golfing professional and some athlete and politician, I forget the combination of those, but they were out golfing and um, when they got back, the golf professional stormed into the club, clubhouse and was furious and throwing his clubs around and, 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 and yelling, I don't need any preacher jamming religion down my throat. Somebody approached the golfer and said, whoa, Billy Graham must have been hard on you out there. Huh? And the guy kind of hung his head in sheepishly and said, well, actually, he didn't say a word. He didn't say a word. What had happened? The character and quality of Billy Graham was such Whatever his imperfections and all of ours are, the character was such that when, when someone who was different, who didn't have that character, who didn't have that heart, who didn't have that self-control, who didn't have the rage and the anger, when, when, they, when the holy came in contact with the unholy, the unholy is very Uncomfortable. Why do people deny Genesis 1 and verse 1? Because as we're going to see above all, He is holy. He stands alone. And if you do not have a covering, if if you are not covered by the blood and the righteousness of Jesus, standing in the presence of a holy God, is absolutely terrifying. But if you have Jesus, you can actually stand before Him with joy. As we move forward, it's going to be so essential as we learn so many things about the glory of God and the majesty of God and the power of God and the transcendence of God. We're going to begin to wonder at times, how in the world can I possibly have a relationship with Him? Well, the answer is that He in His love came down and met us on our ground, on our turf. He invaded this world so that He might atone for us, so that He might be raised from the dead, so that He might ever live as Savior and Lord to reclaim you and redeem you and position you so that you can stand even now in the presence of a holy God and then forever and ever and ever in the presence of that God, face to face in all of His glory. Yeah, we're going to need the Gospel throughout this series, or else God's going to intimidate us to a point of terror. May it be that God will, as we study Him and see Him in all His majesty and glory, may it be that our hearts will be filled with reverence and awe and wonder, Um, but not terror. I said I had one more thing to say, right? So, I better stop, or else I'll, I'll have lied. Uh, I can't do that. All right. There is in your outline a QR code for an article written by John Piper about the wonder of rain. It, have any of you ever read that article before? Uh, good. This is a gift that I wanted you to have. Uh, read it and read it to your children. Read it out loud and think about it. It will fill you with a sense of wonder in our Creator God. And that's what we want as we proceed in these weeks and months. Oh, that God would fill us with His glory. That we would see His wonder and goodness and love. So those are the first three reasons for Genesis and our adventure in traveling through this book in coming time. Please pray, pray that we will, there's so much to say, uh, way more to say in this, even the first three chapters of Genesis, we could, we could spend years there and not exhaust Um Pray that we'll have wisdom to know what to emphasize, what to point out, what to clarify. Pray that we will have grace and pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, I pray that You will use Your Word. Use Your Word to touch us deeply and powerfully. And I pray, Lord, that if there are any here who have never surrendered to their creator, to you. That Father, you will soften hearts and humble hearts and lead them to your throne. I pray for us all that we will bow and worship, stand in all of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was, uh, thank you. It occurred to me about halfway through the message that I never actually read the text, uh, uh, Genesis 1. So your Bibles are there, um, but I never read that. I am sorry, my brain kind of detoured there somewhere and uh, left it out. In fact, if you want your own heart to be blessed, read the first three chapters of Genesis out loud uh, and just... That's the story of the beginning. Uh, And then, if you want to see the end of the story, go to Revelation 21 and 22. Thank you for coming today. Our our prayer is that um, God has begun a good work in each one of us. And our prayer is that he will continue it and perfect it and bring it to completion in each one of our lives. God bless you. God keep you and keep you safe till we till we meet again. Amen. Amen.